And welcome back and welcome to our storytelling conversation. My name is David Frainer. And I'm here with Steve Varnum, as Amy said, longtime storyteller, first time True Tales Live teller. And so welcome, Steve. Thank you. We call this segment the backstory, where we look in back of the curtain to learn about the story behind the stories and the story behind the storyteller. And tonight, our conversation is with Steve. Thanks for that. Uh, as it was mentioned, Steve, you're the Director of Communication and Marketing for the Community Loan Fund. Um, but as Amy noted, and Pat too, before that, you had a career in journalism. And I thought we might start there because it strikes me that journalism and first-person storytelling are, so to speak, storytelling cousins, but in the end are really quite different and perhaps even at odds in some ways. So I wondered about your thoughts about the relationship between journalism and first-person storytelling. Yeah, that's a that's a great uh, that's a great insight. Um, when you when you're doing straight journalism, when you're reporting or writing uh, feature articles, uh, you generally keep your your own voice and your own self and your own experience out of the written word. Although for sure, I mean, I believe that we are all are influenced by everything we've lived through, by everything we've done, by everything we've experienced. And there's no way that that does not bleed into someone's reporting and writing. Uh, but at the same time, you know, I've written about people with whom I could not disagree more uh, about their, you know, political stance or something that they're doing. Uh, yet, as a storytelling journalist, uh, you're in kind of just the facts mode. And so, Steve, you put your yourself aside and, you know, what, what is factual, what can be backed up uh, by documents of some sort. Um, interestingly, at different times during my newspapering, I toggled back and forth between being a, a reporter and, and feature writer and being a columnist. And as a columnist, of course, you can write in first person or you can write about other things, but inject your own opinion, your own thought and that kind of thing. Um, so one of the columns that I wrote about that I think, uh, at least in my memory, I got more comments on than anything else I ever wrote was uh, I wrote a piece for Mother's Day. And I, I mentioned in my piece tonight that I was an adoptee. Uh, I found my birth mom when I was 25 years old. Oh, wow. And from then until uh, about six years ago when she passed, uh, we, had a, we had a relationship. Uh, and I, of course, had a relationship with my adoptive parents. So for Mother's Day one year, I wrote a column about my two mothers uh, who could not have been any different. <laughs> they just could not have been any different as personalities, worldview, the way they dressed, you name it. Uh, but wrote a column about how you know, kind of celebrating them, celebrating their differences. And then out of their differences came me. Uh, 
<laughs> for what that's worth, you know? Uh, so, so, uh, so I did have the opportunity to, to flex both, both types of muscles. And I can't say that I like one more than the other. I, I enjoy telling other people's stories at least as much as I enjoy telling my own. And it kind of takes me off the hook. <laughs> but, but they are kind of different in the sense that there is this, you might call it the myth of the objective journalist. Yeah. Um, although I would guess I'd say that uh, the notion of objectivity in journalism is under threat these days. <laughs> but that's probably a whole other conversation. Well, I, I think when you call it a myth, you're, you're right on. I mean, there's no perfect you, you, objectivity. Right. You, ha you have to know what your biases are, and then you have to push them aside. But you can't push them aside and you can't say, this isn't going to get into my story until you've identified it and you know what it is when you see it. So if I'm interview so interviewing someone uh, and, you know, I feel the hairs on the back of my neck start going up, uh, I have to push it back down and say, you know, my job here is to, you know, convey as close as I can to the truth of the situation. And I, and yes, I have strong feelings. I always have strong feelings, but I need to push those aside. And I think that's, that's what good reporters do. <clears throat> I also want to talk about storytelling uh, with respect to the loan fund. And Steve, I don't know if you're familiar with the work of Andy Goodman and the Goodman Center in Los Angeles. I'm a huge fan. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> I'm a huge fan. I'm on his email list. I've seen him present. Yeah. Ah, so uh, we're on the same wavelength here. Um, as far as I know, he was one of the really early movers and shakers in pointing out the important difference between story, first person story, storytelling and just the uh, abstract use of data, the use of abstract data. Um, and I had a chance to go hear him some years ago. And uh, so I've been a big fan ever since. So the question, of course, is did, do you use some of his uh, kinds of work in the loan fund work that you do? do you oh, do, definitely. Do um, you I, mean, I would say that our, our best and biggest marketing tools are what we call the impact stories uh, that mostly I report and write. There's a whole section on our website of stories about people we've helped. And uh, Julie Eads, who founded the Community Loan Fund 38 years ago, retired last June. But when I was hired as the communications and marketing guy, she said, okay, this is what you need to know. We succeed when our borrowers succeed, period. Okay, so if we're gonna tell stories about our impact, why people should invest in us, why people should donate to us, why people should partner with us, that's gonna be told through the stories of the people we have served. Um, and, and, we'll, and we'll stand or fall on those stories. So very much so, uh, and Andy Goodman, man, that, you know, if, if you consider yourself a communicator in any sphere, you, you gotta know his work. He's a pretty brilliant guy. Yeah, he really, really is. Well, it's, it's fun that we're on the same 
wavelength there. <laughs> um, in our email exchange, you noted that some of your favorite storytellers are songwriters. You mentioned Bob Dylan, Tom Waits, and Jason Isbell. And I was very interested to hear that, Steve, because it connects with a con conviction of mine that storytelling, narrative poetry, and lyric songwriting are, so to speak, three sides of the same two-sided coin. So I wonder if you could uh, talk a little bit more about the relationship between songwriting and storytelling, particularly uh, in your interest in these three uh, songwriters. Yeah, you know, to be, to be very honest, I, I mean, I, I hugely respect novelists and short story writers, and please don't misconstrue any of what I'm gonna say as a put down. But to tell a complete and textured story in three and a half minutes and make it rhyme and make it fit and make it, you know, fit a, a you know, a melodic scheme is to, to my point of view, really, really, really hard. And uh, we, when, when I'm struggling or when I'm feeling stuck, I listen to Tom Waits. Uh, he is such a wordsmith and he can say so much in a line or two um, that uh, I, I'm just kind of in, in awe of, of those guys and many others. I mean, Joni Mitchell, uh, we, could, we could keep going here. But the, the most skillful song music lyricists are by and large pretty brilliant songwriters. Uh, the other thing I'd say about that is, is uh, what, what is the Miles Davis quote? It's something about, um, it, it's, 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 it's not always the notes you play, it's the notes you don't play. <laughs> and people get hung up really hung up on detail in story writing, right? And I'm not gonna disagree, I mean, great detail makes a great story. But, uh, just, and I'm not saying what I, what I did tonight was a great story, okay? But <laughs> as I was writing and editing it, uh, when, I, when I wrote something about it smelled like spring. And I wrote a couple or three sentences about describing what spring smells like. But then, it, well, well, wait a minute, we all here have experienced spring. Why don't I let, why don't I just put that out there and let people fill in the blank with their own senses of spring? Isn't that better than put my, putting mine on there? I, I also went into gruesome detail on what that bloody icy rag in my mouth tasted like. And I thought, well, for a different reason, maybe that's too much detail there too. But, but the point is, um, you know, I, I like when my process of writing, so today's thing was probably six minutes. I think it probably started as 10 or 11 minutes. And I cut and cut and cut. And sometimes I cut what I think has been meticulous detail because I wanna leave that to the reader or read it or, or leave it to the listener. So, you know, so Miles Davis's music uh, example really resonates with me as a writer too, how much detail to give and how much detail to let the reader live. 
Uh, and as I grow older and tell more stories, I think I'm tending more to let, let the reader's mind go with it more. Well, um, one quick question, and then we do need to begin to wrap up. And uh, it's essentially the same question. In about 30 or 60 seconds, what advice would you give someone who's thinking about telling a story for the first time? Wow. <laughs> well, just your quick thought. Well, but, uh, part of it is what I just said, splatter it out. You know, when, when you first sit down to write, just brain dump, just throw everything on the page. Um, don't assume that you know where the beginning of the story is. The beginning of the story might be at the end. The one I told today, the beginning of the story was sort of in the middle, right? So throw it all down in as much detail as you can remember and then start rearranging it and, and sorting out. Uh, but that, that first, what I call, I call it splatter because that's kind of what I do, uh, is really a great way to get everything down. You know, don't edit as you're doing it. Don't even think as you're doing it. Get it down and then look at organization and then look at rhythm if you want to play with rhythm. Then look at what details to include and what not to include. Uh, don't ever think that your first take is going to be your best take. It, in 40 years, mine has never been my best take. <laughs> okay, well... <clears throat> Friends, this brings us to the end of our conversation with Steve. Again, thank you for your story and for our conversation. Uh, we know that you have more stories to tell and we would like to hear them. So this also brings us to the end of our show. Thanks to our True Tales Live team, whose names you will see on the credit scroll. A virtual round of applause for them, please. And you can keep up to date with True Tales Live through our website, through our Facebook page, and our e-newsletter, True Tales Times, which you can sign up for on our website. Our next show, as Amy mentioned, is Tuesday, May 25th. The theme is Blunders, and we hope you'll join us. Our next workshop is a week from today on May 4th from 7 to 8.30 p.m. And if you are considering telling a story, as Amy says, we strongly encourage you to attend a workshop. Signing up on our website is the way to go. They're good, they're fun, and they're safe. Edited by John Lovering, tonight's show will be posted on PPM TV's YouTube channel, channel 2098 in Portsmouth. Tell your friends to look for it. That's it for tonight's show. Thanks to our tellers, our crew, and you. My name is David Frainer. Thank you again, and good night.